special guest, my brother. Woo! What's your name? Oh, That's you. Carson. <laughs> I thought you were gonna fake him out and say Brady. Well, you didn't mention it beforehand, so I didn't know if we were still gonna go along with it, and then you just put me on the spot right then, and I, <laughs> I got nervous. I wanted to see how many people would be able to tell that it was Carson and not Brady. I think most people would. I don't think we sound alike. No, you don't sound alike. At all. Brady has a little bit of a deeper voice. Yeah. Yeah. You're still getting in there. I mean, you're starting to grow in the facial hair like Brady could when he was 13. Yeah. So basically, I'm 13-year-old Brady. Yeah. But in a 19-year-old Carson's body. Yeah. It's really sad. If we're talking about age, you want to know what age milestone I... Well, I haven't hit yet, but I'm about to hit. But the enrollment what? was... At 26, you, our health insurance, all health insurance, kicks you off your parents' health insurance. So I had to enroll in my own health insurance this week. I felt like such an adult making decisions about my health. Choosing a plan. Yeah, I'm, I'm not doing that. I just want I tried to. I was like, Dad, do I have to? And he was like, it's time to grow up, Kenzie. And I said, no. I don't want to grow up. And then I was like, Dalton, what if what if you just married me in the next month? Because I turned 26 in December. So it's actually like perfect timing because I'll get kicked off of our parents at the end of the year. And mine will start at the beginning of the year. No, it starts in January 1st. And I was like, what if you married me before January 1st? And then I could be on your health insurance. That would be smart. Another yes. smart thing, ask for it for Christmas and see if mom and dad give you health insurance for Christmas. <laughs> Just put it on my Christmas list. And health insurance. Can you hear Bennett chowing down in the background? No. He's like chowing down. Probably because you don't feed him or take care of him. I do feed him and take care of him. Have you let him out to the bathroom? Because he only gets one bathroom break a day. He does not. Do not spread that rumor that my dog gets one bathroom break a day. He one bathroom, bathroom break a day and one meal a week. No, I'm a good dog owner. Did you buy that new shot collar you sent to the family group chat? No. Stop spreading rumors on the internet and on streaming platforms. I was just asking. <laughs> All right. Let's get in. Okay, so... For our listeners, our loyal listeners out there that have been with us throughout this whole journey, we, we're changing the flow. I'm sorry. I know change is hard. I think this is something that everyone will appreciate from the feedback that I have gotten. But we're going to save the question of the day for the end and kind of end on like a lighthearted note. Um, so we're just going to go ahead and jump into our recap for the episode this week. Uh, also for the listeners, if you didn't see, I'm going to post on social media. I'm saying I'm going to because we're recording this on Sunday and I haven't made the post yet, but I will make the post. Uh, there, like me and Brady discussed last week, there actually is a part two to the, the NCIS episode last week. It was NCIS Season 4, Episode 13, Sharif Returns, if you ask me. 
It's not a very clever name. It's just the return of the bad guy. It has nothing to do with bombs and the 1993 World Trade Center bombing, but if it's a part two to the episode, we got to finish it, right? Okay, so I watched it right before this, and again, I didn't take notes because I was driving home from buying groceries and putting my groceries away. So I couldn't take notes. So this is all from the old noggin to see if I can remember what happened an hour ago. You ready? If you need me to, I found a website that has the entire second act explained of this episode. Just the second, not the first, third, or fourth. Mm -mm. I don't even know what the second act is considered in this episode. It did have the prologue, though, so I guess that opening scene of the episode, too. Like, the prologue is in, like, okay, because this is the part that I just listened to, because I couldn't watch it because I was driving because I'm a safe driver. So I don't actually know what happens, but I, in the end, I don't think it really mattered. But I think what happened is it opened with a guy almost getting hit by a car. And then it was because the, like, street lights were malfunctioning and someone was like, they're not malfunctioning. That's an SOS signal. Is that the prologue that you're reading? Yes. Okay. It's lit. Wow. Mill states that it isn't a malfunction. It's an SOS. Wow, that was straight from the website I have. I wrote that website. That's crazy. And you only did the prologue in Act 2? Yes, that's all I could remember in, in 45 minutes. Oh, the summary might be a doozy then. <laughs> so then, you know, NCIS goes down under the street to investigate, I guess, where the electrical box for the street lights are. And they were cut... And it was because there was a major in the Navy down there. He was dead uh, and stuck. So I guess he had rewired the streetlights to send an SOS because he needed help. But by the time someone got to him, he was already dead. And he was missing an eye. And his, like, fingers were, like, and fingertips were, like, gone. It was gross. And he was, like, locked in there from the outside. Someone locked him in there. And Ducky, the medical exam coroner guy, took his temperature, and he had a 91-degree temperature, which was abnormal because usually uh, bodies, when they have passed, their temperature starts to decrease, start to go cold. But this one was hot, and so he was like, huh, he was probably had a fever or something before this. Also, there was a video camera recording the major in his stuck-in-this-room. A little so, suspicious. Yeah, so Ducky takes him back to, you know, his lab, and he's doing the autopsy, and he was like, I know what killed this guy. It's, it's, it's not the eye, the fact that he was missing his eye. But I did find the eye, and they're like, where did you find the eye? Because we didn't find the eye in that room. And he was like, no, it was in his stomach. And he's like, he pulled the eye out himself. This dude pulled his own eye out and ate it. That's gross. I was like, oh, 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 oh. I was gagging. How do you, I feel like that's just going to get mixed in with his other food, though. How do you, like, notice He that, had oh, an empty stomach. It was whole. Like, the eye was whole. He had an empty stomach. It wasn't long before he died. And he swallowed it? That's more impressive. 
Oh yeah, I guess you would like bite into it. Would you? If it's whole, that means he just down that thing. Oh. <laughs> that is that is so impressive. I, can't think I can barely about take certain pills. That's like swallowing <laughs> an entire jawbreaker. Ducky's also like, I know what killed this guy. It was hype. Hyper, I'm gonna say this wrong. Hyper, not hypothermia, but hyperthermia, meaning he didn't get too cold. He got too hot. His body overheated. He had like a heat stroke, and they were like, "Okay, but it wasn't that hot down there." So like, how that happened? Ducky's like, "I don't know. I'm just telling you." Like, his organs felt because he was literally cooking from the inside out, and they're like, "What? What?" So they went to Abby's lab, and they're like, Abby, what the heck? How does a person heat like heat up from the inside out? And she found that it was some biological warfare drug called BZ. He had BZ, and they're like, where, what, where did he get that? Um, at this point, oh, and then she was like, we traced... The video camera that was filming him was connected to the Wi-Fi. We traced it to this bowling alley. So they're like, okay, let's get to the bowling alley. Room, room, room. And they do, and they see something going down. And it was like, tell us what you know, in the back of the bowling alley. And someone tied to a chair. And he's like, I don't say anything. And then everyone had their guns drawn. And they're like, tell us what you know. So then the NCS busted down the door and was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's going on here? And really... It was Hollis Mann's people. Now, Hollis Mann, we got introduced to in part one. And Carson, her and Gibbs, they had some weird little thing going on. There oh, was they were heavy, There was heavy sexual tension. They didn't do anything about it. No, no, no. But heavy sexual. Like, they were flirting hard in front of the team. You know, sometimes you got to. Sometimes so like, that's the best place to do it to get your uh, point across. So like when, you know, Gibbs busted down the door and he saw his woman, he was like, oh, hell yeah. Like, great to see. And I think she said something like he was like, she was like, funny seeing you here. He's like, or not. And the Ooh. whole team was like, what? <laughs> what does that mean? In the back of the bowling alley too. I yeah. I'm pretty sure I had a couple birthdays at the Minerals bowling alley that ended exactly like this. What do you mean, like people two people in the back? Down. Eight year old me just trying to bowl a strike. I hear people in the back going, "Stop the guns blaring!" I'm like, oh, it's just Minerals bowling alley. This is the norm. Uh, we did one birthday without it. We did one bowling alley episode. It was our episode three was a bones episode that takes place at a bowling alley. And they were talking about how people bone like prostitutes or not sex workers bone and stuff in the back of the bowling alley. Like it's a known common. Why in the bowling alley though? I feel like it's dangerous. There's a lot of moving gears back there that. Well, yeah. Careful. they were back there because someone got stuck in the gears and like got shredded and died. So they were like, was it someone having sex back here? And they just like fell in. Like there's, I feel like you could do that in like the back of movie theater. Like, I mean, you shouldn't though. We're not condoning this. 
Just don't do it in public. Well, I mean, they were they were back there in private, so technically they weren't in public. Yeah, but the back of a movie theater. Maybe like where they put the the movie machine. You know, oh, that like displays, uh, like in that yeah, room. Yeah, back there. Okay, okay, that makes more sense. So they put together. I don't remember how. That Sharif, who we knew from the first episode, was behind the bombings in the first episode. He's back. They're tracking this guy down. And now he's not dealing in bombs. He's dealing in biochemical warfare. So they're like, oh, we got to get him. So apparently biochemical warfare is, like, illegal. I don't know if that's, like, just illegal in the United States or the whole world came together and said, nope biological warfare that's against the rules of war i think that was after world war ii because that's when With the mustard gas like, yeah that's when they yeah. started doing gas and stuff and then after that i think they decided not to because it was just so deadly okay but isn't it weird that the whole world comes together like after a major war and we're like let's all collectively to agree never to do biological warfare what happened like we're just we're just gonna let like take everyone's word that they're not gonna do that. Yeah, because uh, I mean, basically, if one nation just does it, then all the other nations will just attack it. It's like you don't want to be the one nation that goes against your <laughs> word because then you have all the other giant nations that are gonna come get you. I just feel like everyone peaky promised never to do it, and no one crossed their fingers and were like okay sure we won't do it i just imagine all the world world leaders like after the fact being like oh wow that was not good i'm not gonna lie that was yeah maybe we shouldn't do that anymore guys everyone was just... i mean it's i guess it's the same but it's almost the same thing with the nukes after the nukes everyone's like okay so that was horrible let's all promise never to do that and then everyone has openly continued to make nukes just in case the one nation actually uses them. But if we all just didn't make nukes. That's what I'm saying. Someone out there is making a biological chemical. Oh, definitely. So that was, that's, okay. So uh, that's basically like, I thought this was illegal. How did he get his hands on this stuff? They tracked it down to a lab because while it can't be used in warfare, there's still like, tests being done on it and everything research so they tracked it down to this research lab the order or something and they got there and this lab tech was like we only got four kilograms and they're like but your order said 14 and he's like but we only got four and they're like oh my god there's 10 kilograms missing which i guess could kill like a million people so so they're missing a lot of biological warfare isn't NCIS like in one city? Isn't I think so. All so I don't know. You're telling me they have four hundred and eighty episodes of crimes happening in this one city. That is yes. one crazy city. That and I don't. One I don't know which city it is. Regular murder, and then the next week you have biolog ten pounds of biological weapons. Ten kilograms. So 10 kilograms just scattered somewhere in your city. Yeah, I think it's DC. I don't know for sure. 
I don't know their jurisdiction. I'm still trying to figure it out. Man, it's taken me like four or five episodes of NCIS just to put together that Hollis and, and Gibbs slept together. Gibbs is a dirty dog. I knew that from the very first episode I watched. I was like, this guy. <laughs> this guy's a dirty dog. So what happens next? Good question. <laughs> Did you just ask and answer your own question? Yes. Because uh, I'm trying to remember what happens next. I know they, like, track him down. I know they're like, oh, my God, there's 10 kilograms missing. That seems like a lot. Does Act 2 say? Am I into Act 2 yet? <laughs> All right. Act 2. <clears throat> In the bullpen, with Ziva and McGee are working, Mann and Gibbs discuss Terrace Sharif, whose photos then appear on the plasma. Mann tells oh Gibbs God. that Army CID was able to get an old lead from when Sheriff was a paid informant working for the CIA. Oh, yeah, we're in there now. Okay. Okay, so, yes, keep going. She then tells him that the trail lead to an alias which led to a credit card and in turn led to the bowling alley okay 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 oh that's kind of like where we already were yeah does it okay get past to the part where ziva and, and denozo go to a, a lab mcgee then speeds things up by stating that half an hour later mcguire got the idea to try and signal using the power bat box on the wall which caused the traffic lights on the street to act strange yeah, because they got a hold of the video. Okay, okay, okay. So they got a hold of a, the video of the dude, the major, on the drugs in the cellar. And so it shows him. So essentially this drug makes you go out of your mind. And that's why he pulled his eye out because he was hallucinating. And just going crazy and just losing his mind. So they were like we've got to find them because we just found out that we're missing 10 kilograms that could kill millions of people. So then after that, does it cut to Gibbs's basement? As it turns out, Gibbs is in his basement working on his boat. When okay. Man okay. Arrives in. Yes. So Gibbs. Yeah. So he's like, I need to go think or whatever. So he goes down to the base or he's in his basement. Hollis shows up and Hollis is like, where's the boat okay me and Brady had this conversation last week because we saw him working on the boat and i was like i think it's in his basement and he's like Brady was like no there's no way it's in the basement because how are you going to get it out of the basement it has to be the garage and i was like okay I, that makes sense but i really thought it was the basement it is the basement and hollis is stunned because she's like how did you get a boat out of your basement and he's not talking like telling her so then they're like talking and they're standing like this close to like very close to each other and he's talking they're talking about Sharif and, and Gibbs is like it's not um this man just wants to kill like he just wants to and man Hollis was like how do you know and Gibbs was like it's all in the eyes you can tell a person by their eyes or their character and Hollis was like well what can you tell by my eyes and Gibbs got really close to her and goes that you want to kiss me? <laughs> yes. Yes. And she was like, oh, this is horrible. And she was like, well, are you? And he said, 
Not until we catch Sharif. Oh, wow. He, and... uh, he could have just lost his opportunity right there. I think she was willing to kiss him. And she was like, you're, you're right. No, we shouldn't have any distractions during this. And he was like, dang, I really wish you were going to not agree with me on this. That's crazy. <laughs> that... Yeah. This is wild. I, this is, it was so weird. I was like, this, this isn't even that good flirting. This feels like high school kids. Like, what am I say about me that you want to kiss me? Yeah, it sounds like I'm listening to an episode of Riverdale right now. <laughs> so Hollis leaves and was like, yeah, we shouldn't be a thing because we'll distract your team. Like, your team's already distracted by us. Because the whole team is like, they're openly flirting. The whole team's like, what is going on? I would find it distracting if my boss was flirting. Oh, and at some point, Hollis and Gibbs went to talk to Gibbs's boss, who's also a woman, and they were talking and this and that. And... Uh, Gibbs's boss or Hollis was like okay who's gonna take point though like my group or and Gibbs's boss was like no you'll report to Gibbs is that a problem and Gibbs was like she likes to be the lead or she likes okay. to take charge and <laughs> she was like at work I like to take charge at work and I was Imagine. like oh my god did Gibbs just go this is my girlfriend likes to take charge of my bedroom in front of his boss. He basically told his boss, yeah, she's a top. <laughs> she's a top. But it's yes. just weird to be a part of this investigation team and having your two like co-workers that are trying to help you find bio biochemical weapons and just being so incredibly horny the entire episode. <laughs> they were they were so horny the whole and so like they left that room and Hollis was like your boss seems to trust you a lot and Gibbs was like yeah and she's like yeah she seems to really like Hollis was insinuating that Gibbs had slept with his boss. Gibbs could have. Dude, Gibbs is a dirty dog, man. I'm not going to put anything in past I don't him. know if, if he did, but, like, I was like, wow, you're not even dating. Like, y'all haven't even slept together yet, and you're already accusing of him of sleeping with his boss? Well, I mean, it's, I mean, this relationship's not going to last if the one thing that gets him really horny is biochemical weapons. <laughs> I mean, so, that that's already a red flag with this relationship. Uh -huh. So Hollis leaves Gibbs' house, and as soon as she leaves, Gibbs gets a call, and it's from Sharif. And Sharif is probably like, hey, um, if you don't give me some Czech prisoners, I'm, I'm going to release this chemical weapon on America. And Gibbs was like, um, no, we don't negotiate with terrorists. And he was like, we'll turn on the news. And six people had already gone to the hospital. He was like, I'll release more. I've already done it. And so Gibbs is watching the news report. And it's like, six people are sick, and they don't know what it caused it. And Sharif's like, actually, it's seven, because I gotcha, Gibbs. You're sick, too. So Gibbs goes and sees Ducky, but they run the test, and they're like, there's nothing in his bloodstream. He's fine. And they're like, okay, let's let's keep this investigation ball rolling. And so they're like, okay, but why would he tell Gibbs he was infected if he's not? And they're like, he's trying to throw him off. 
or like he's trying to throw us off of his game plan or whatever. So there, and Gibbs was like, I don't think he really cares about these Czech prisoners either. Like, I think that's another way to throw us off. So and is this Gibbs or McGee? This is Gibbs. Gibbs, okay. So they were like, okay, back to square one. What's he planning? What's going on? Or maybe what happened next was that they tracked down this wire thing, and it turns out that the lab tech that told them that they only got four kilograms, he actually gave the chemical, the other 10 kilograms, to Sharif. And they're like, well, how much money does Sharif give you? And he's like, he didn't give me any money. And they're like, so you just wanted to kill people? And he was like, no, you got it all wrong. We're just going to scare people. And he's like, they're like, what? What are you getting out of this? And he was like, oh, because, like, when Hurricane Katrina, like, came through, the construction companies made bank, and the same with the tsunami. And so I thought if there was a chemical, like, disaster, then I would make bank because everyone would buy gas masks for me. So that's why. I mean, supply and demand. I mean, he's... This guy could be a business major. That's all. I'm and saying. they were like, you were going to kill people? And he's like, no, no, guys. You think I would just kill people? No. I denatured the enzyme in the, the chemical so it can't kill anyone airborne. You just have to digest it. No one's going to get hurt. It's fake. And they're like, you just gave chemical weapons to a terrorist. And six people are already hurt. Like, explain that. And he was like, I don't know. It's, you you just got to digest. It's not a big deal. Just calm down. Buy a gas mask. The are going to go through the roof, though. <laughs> so then they're, like, trying to figure out how did all six people, like, get sick. And it turns out that Sharif was working for a bug fumigator company. And he was driving this truck that sprays it everywhere. So that was it. But then they were like, okay, but that guy said it was denatured and not an airborne. So, like, how does it work? Also, one of those sprayer things has been stolen. So, and Sharif hasn't shown up to work. So what's he targeting? Yada, yada. Also, Gibbs is feeling the effect of the drugs. He's not clear. He's starting to have some hallucinations. And he's how like, do you, trying how to do we know if it's not... It might not be the, the weapon, though. Maybe he just is hallucinating. Maybe he's taking shrooms or something. He just took a few shrooms in the middle of this investigation because he couldn't. He knew he couldn't sleep with Hollis to get it off, so he was like, let me just take some shrooms to relax. It was like the opposite of, like, a Viagra. Like, he needed to <laughs> calm down. He's like, I'm too horny, man. He's like, I need to focus. Let me take my shrooms so I'm not as horny on this case. At some point in the episode, someone was like, those two are real motivated to solve this this case. And I was like, yeah, because they made a bet that they could <laughs> once they catch this guy. He's like, ooh, we gotta catch the case now. So they're trying to, like, track, still track Sharif down. They got this one guy in custody. Then at some point they find, or Sharif calls them, and they track down his location to a bus station or Amtrak station. 
and he was like i'm retiring and they're like he's not retiring he is he has something else planned he's not just gonna retire and it's like well yeah like why would you (laughs) why would you have 10 kilograms of biological warfare and go actually i'm retiring from being a terrorist (laughs) i'm just not gonna do it anymore so then they catch sharif like on videos outside of a banks and stuff and he's been taking like nine thousand dollars in singles from like all these different banks and they're like uh, so he has like a hundred and eight thousand dollars in ones and they were like why I know where he's going well denozo said that he was like i would make a strip stripping joke but i don't think it's the time for that i mean According to Gibbs, it is the time. <laughs> so they have this video footage, and in this video footage, they found what looks like a switch. But I don't think it's that era. Like, I don't think the switch had been made yet. Because this was season four of NCIS. And there's been 20 seasons. Way too long. Poor city. Poor city, man. S- so this is like they called it like some portable pc gaming device that sharif was carrying and they're like hey does that use wi-fi and mcgee was like yeah that uses wi-fi and they're like well can we track that and he's like if we know his like gamer tag and they're like we do so his gamer tag was agent gibbs that's his gamer tag yeah that's awesome (laughs) He's like, I need a sick name. Let me pick my enemy's name. There's so many. I mean, you can pick any name whenever you do a gamer tag. It is really weird just for it to be Agent Gibbs. Everyone else on the internet's like. Gibbs is a loser. Gibbs is a virgin. Like, (laughs) do so many things like that to roast Gibbs and just have it be funny and fun. And all he did was Agent Gibbs. So they tracked him to a train station. And they realized, at some point, they realized that he was able to turn the BZ drug not, because it doesn't work when it's airborne. They're like, people not are, are not digesting it. What's happening? He turned it into some solvent that, like, if you touch it, it, like, goes into your bloodstream. He's so, really smart. So he put it on all of those $1 bills, and that's how he was going to infect everyone, is when cash tra- changes, everyone that touches that $1 bill, which is terrifying to think of, because, like, that's a lot of people. It is a lot of people. When you have 108,000 of those $1 bills. That's at least 108,000 people who can get affected. Yeah, so, like, he's at this, like, train station. He's handing some, like, worker out at the bar the ones, and he's, like, keep the change, and he's stuffing it into some donation box. And then NCIS shows up, and they find him. But this time, but right now, Gibbs hallucinating, like, hardcore. Like, he's he's starting to really feel this drug, man. (laughs) And he's just not telling anyone about it? Yeah, he has not told anyone. His, like, boss, the director, kind of caught on to it. And she was like, hey, Hollis, you need to watch him. I think something's off. And Hollis is like, um, excuse me? My man can handle himself, okay? He can handle his shrooms? 
I've seen it before. <laughs> I'll take care of it later, but we gotta catch the guy first, okay? So, they're in the trade station. They find Sharif. They start chasing him. He's just throwing $1 bills up in the air. So, Gibbs is chasing him. And then Hollis and McGee have to stop and tell everyone, No, don't touch the money! Don't touch the money! Because, every you know, someone's throwing money in the air. You're like, ooh, thank you, thank you. And they're what? like, no, 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 it's contaminated. It's contaminated. Don't touch the money. No, this guy's actually kind of awesome for doing that, though. Just throwing so, $1 bills everywhere? That's the smartest thing ever. Here, he's, he's just throwing it in the air. Take some money. Take the money. Because every As single person is diving chances. on that floor to get yeah, those $1 and, bills. Yeah, so they're like, don't, don't touch it. Don't touch it. It's contaminated. So McGee, uh, Gibbs chases Sharif into a bathroom. But he's like, he looks like he's drunk. He's like falling all over the place. He like runs into a wall and runs into this <laughs> wall. Like he can't run straight. He's like, put your hands up. And Sharif's like, you feel it okay, buddy? And and then and then Gibbs just falls to the ground. And lets go of his gun. So Sharif takes it. And he's like, you want to know why I'm doing this? Because the U.S. dropped a bomb that killed his family or something somewhere. <laughs> so he's about to shoot Gibbs. When Gibbs' new girlfriend, soon-to-be girlfriend, comes in and goes, pow, pow, pow. And saves Gibbs' life. And then they have the antidote right there, too. So, you know, Gibbs lives. If you Thank goodness they just had the antidote. Well, they did tell the National Guard to bring it because they're like, hey, we're going to need a lot of this because some man's just throwing $1 bills up in the air that are contaminated. <laughs> um, so, you know, Gibbs is fine. And then, you know, how it ends. You want to guess how this episode ends? All right. Realistically, thinking about all the cop shows, I think Gibbs is going to be excited to see this girl. He's going to be like, I'm going to get some. I'm excited. We finally beat the case. We're going to fulfill a promise. And she's going to be like, I have to go, Gibbs. I have to go. I'm sorry, but duty calls and then just leaves. Okay, so that didn't happen with Gibbs and Hollis. But earlier in the episode... So, like, this whole biological warfare, this whole biological warfare thing is just, like, happening, and Tony just leaves. He's just MIA, and everyone's like, where's Tony? Tony just showed up at his girlfriend's house, and is like, hey, do you want to, like, watch him? And she, I guess, had told him, like, don't come over. Like, it's been a long day. I don't want to talk about it. But he just comes over anyways. And he's like, let's watch movies. And she's like, okay. And then he's like, and we should probably take a bath together. And she's like, okay. And this whole time his team is trying to get a hold of him. But, like, he was like, no, he just ditched. Until he got on his girlfriend's laptop. And saw that six people had been, like, sick or something. And then he finally answers Ziva's call. And he's like, are you calling about the sick people, the six people that are sick? And she's like, yes. Yes, where are you? And he was like, I'm just not in the office right now. And she was like, he's like, I'm just not on duty right now. And she's like, we have a biological weapon just, like, out there where are you? And he was like, just send me the address of where you need me to go. And she's like, what? And he just hangs up and his like girlfriend comes out and she's like, 
hurry before the water gets cold. And he's like, actually. And I was like, dude, the whole world, the whole United States might die. And you're just dipping Man. to go hang out with your girlfriend. They're about to run a bubble bath together. So. <laughs> okay, so that ha- that happened to Tony earlier in the episode. But that, how do you think the end of the episode ends? I'm 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 not gonna lie. I don't think anyone gets laid at the end of the episode. I don't think anyone gets laid at the end of the episode. Well, you're wrong, cause Gibbs gets laid. Uh... What a guy! What a guy! So it ends with Hollis laying in bed, and she gets a call from Gibbs, and she's like, "I thought you were still recuperating," and like you don't really know what he's saying, and then she's like, "Okay, I'll ring you up," and then he actually just walks into her bedroom. And he was like, no need to ring me up. Your door was just unlocked. <laughs> kind of creepy. Just comes well, out of Hollis the did that to him in the last episode where they met for the first time. Oh, so it was like a cute little couple thing. Yeah, just breaking and entering. He's like, hey, you remember when you broke into my place? <laughs> hey, hey, c- come on. <laughs> And so he's basically like, I came over here to tell you thank you for saving my life. And she's like, is that all you came over here for? And he said no. And then they have sex. Awesome. <laughs> Wait, what about Tony? Did he also get laid? We don't know. Oh. Well, good so, for Gibbs. He's yes, like get- 70, right? Oh my god! <laughs> I always thought he was like super old whenever I was younger because he he looks old in the show. He does the look old, hair. but he also looks the same age through the whole series. That is true. He does not change one bit. No, he I'm looks old, sure. and he just I'm sure st- never changed. This is true. Maybe if you're just in that position, you just age to a certain age, and then you just don't age anymore. It's because you're like the boss, and the boss yeah. needs to like be mature already to be the boss. And then everyone around them, you have to see them change throughout the show to show that they're growing. But you can't have the boss grow because he's <laughs> supposed to be the boss. Yes. <laughs> I like that theory. Mm hmm. So, as we did, this is part two of the 1993. World Trade Center bombing. Let's do a little recappy cap of what we discussed last week since Carson wasn't here. So, as we discussed last week, you can also, if you want like an actual in depth, you can always just go back and listen to the episode. We suggest you to go back and listen to the episode and all the episodes before that and give it a little rating as well. Thanks, Carson. And like subscribe, like follow. Follow on your. on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you name it. Amazon, no, just Amazon Music. Those, those three. Amazon Music too. Subscribe on all three. Rate on all three. We want to hear you what should... y'all like and dislike. Yeah, you should definitely rate us. That would be really awesome. We are so close to surpassing Joe Rogan, and no. we just need y'all help. Y'all's help. We are this close. He is shaking in his boots his recent (laughs) podcast episodes because we are gonna overtake him yeah he's like some 
podcast called Crime on Prime Time. Mm-hmm. And then he has Ben Shapiro across from him going, what? What? <laughs> okay, so previously, oh, I could do the voice. You ready? Previously on Crime on Prime Time. We discussed how the 1993 World Trade Center bombing started with the murder of Rabbi Meir Kahane in 1990 by El Sayy Nosser because of political differences of what was going on in Israel. But El Sayyid got off on, uh, he was acquitted on those charges, though he still went to jail because in the in in this whole murder he assaulted a cop and gun charges but the joint terrorism task force started uh investigating him anyways to see like was this random was it political is it part of terrorism like what is it so they send a guy they also like learned that there might be a bomb plot going so they send a guy on the inside his name was imad salim now, Ahmad got into the group real fast, and he was pretty good. Now, he, you cannot, they cannot control Ahmad, but he was good. So he was the group's, of this terrorist cell, their bomb maker. Except when one of the detectives had to go on medical leave for 90 days, their boss was like, actually, I don't trust this informant. Let's pull him out of there. And did. Like fired Imad. And the next thing you know, this group got a new bomb maker. His name was Ramsey Yusuf. And they're like, we need 12 pipe bombs, please. And Ramsey was like, no, no, no. Go big, go home. And that's where then the next thing we know, February 26th, 1993, there was an explosion in the parking garage of the North Tower of the World Trade Center. Six people died. I also want to make a PSA announcement. I want to apologize to the family of Don, John Dia, Dia, my bad. John Dia Giovanni. I did not include his name in the list of victims that I read aloud last week. So I just wanted to acknowledge that he was also a victim of the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. Um, so we left off with there was a bomb and the Joint Terrorism Task Force knew that it was probably a terrorist act, but they didn't know which terrorist. And so we're picking up on. So this week we're going to discuss the investigation that followed to catch who who did this. In the days following the bomb. Agents scoured the 150-foot blast site in the dark, looking for any clues or evidence that would give the investigation a direction to start in. This was known as Operation Trade Bomb. Okay, but it's Trade Bomb without the B at the end. I don't know why they left it off. <laughs> you think that's just a typo? You think like they, they put it down as the name and just forgot there was a B at the end of bomb? Yeah, and now I just went down in history. <laughs> They're like, oh, gosh. Gosh. Several groups had taken responsibility, including the Serbian Liberation Group and the Liberation Army 5th Battalion. 
But the Joint Terrorism Task Force needed something that would definitively tie them to it. And wouldn't you know it, just two days into the search, the agents find the most crucial piece of evidence. It was a piece of the vehicle that had contained the bomb, and this piece still had the VIN number on it. So they knew it was a piece of the the vehicle that held the bomb. This I found this interesting. Because this piece was blasted outwards, whereas every other car was blasted inwards. Okay, that that makes sense. Okay, so it went, but every other car went. Yeah. I kind of need a diagram. Can you show me kind of like, can you draw up a diagram okay. for me? Let me just do it with my hand. So this is the van with the bomb, and it went okay. out. Okay. Well, when it went out, this was the other cars, and it hit, and it, these cars went in. Oh, okay. The sound effects also helped because <laughs> now I can picture it better on what it sounds like and what it's doing. Am I painting a picture? You are painting a pink picture. Listeners out there, what Kenzie just did was beautiful and <laughs> educational. And I'm sorry y'all didn't see it. If y'all want to us to make a Patreon where we do the visual podcast as well, <coughs> let us know in the ratings and comments. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> Detective Napoli ran the VIN number, and it came back as a Ryder rental van owned by a Jersey City rental company. One quick phone call, and they had a name. A name Detective Napoli had heard before. It was a man who was a part of a terrorist cell that Detective Napoli had once upon a time had a man on the inside of. A cell he knew was making a bomb. The name was... Muhammad Salim, and he had been part of the group that would train at the shooting range in Long Island, part of the group that would visit El Sai Nocer in prison. So this he was like part of the group they were, had already been investigating. The manager of the Ryder Company was contacted, and he told – so they called up the Ryder Company, and they're like, listen – we're looking like we we think your van was a part of, of like the bombing of the World Trade Center. Can you imagine? You're like would be stunned. You're like my van, my rental car. Imagine like just letting someone borrow your car for a day, and then you get a call. It's like, so your car was the reason why the World Trade Center was bombed, and you're like, <laughs> I didn't know. So he the agents like called him and he was like so this dude just called me his name's Mohammed Shalim Salim and he like has been calling me since February 26th the day of the bomb to report that the van was stolen from him and he would need his cash deposit back <laughs> so this dude used the van for a bombing attack, and then was like, okay, I also want that deposit bag. Which, okay, kind of smart, because if you think, like, when you picture a terrorist using a van like this, you wouldn't picture them also asking for a cash deposit bag. 
you'd be picturing a civilian asking for their cash deposit back. So I think he's mainly doing it for mind games. Well, he's really doing it because he needs the money to get out of the country to buy a plane ticket. <laughs> right. Instead of a cash deposit, get me just a ticket out of here. <laughs> the manager had told him he would talk to corporate and see what he could do. Mama called every day insisting to get his deposit back. Finally, the manager had told him he could get his deposit back if he produced a police report. And Muhammad agreed and said he would be in on the next day, which was March 4th, with the police report. Which is also crazy to me because you have to know you don't have – where did he get a police report? Yeah, you this is – You have to know you don't have a police report. This guy's doing too much for this cash deposit. Honestly, just go rob someone at this point. And he only gets – well, we'll get to how much he gets back. Um, coincidentally, March 3rd is also the same day Detectives Napoli and Anisev contacted the manager. So they're getting all of this, and the manager – they're talking to the manager, getting this whole story. And he, the manager's just like, yeah, he's going to be in tomorrow to get his deposit back. And they're like, fan-freaking-tastic. Everything was falling into place. On March 4th, when Muhammad Salem walked into the writer's store, he was greeted by the manager and an undercover agent posing as a corporate guy there to negotiate the deposit. After some back and forth, the pair agreed to $200. He got $200 back of this deposit. Just enough. Muhammad was paid in... As he exited the store, he was swarmed by federal agents. So I get most of this whole episode and last episode from this podcast called Operation Trade Bomb. It, my podcast, this episode is basically a summary of that podcast. So if you want like actual recordings and actual detectives like talking, like firsthand experiences of this whole thing, go listen to that one. Mine is just a summary of that. Cliff notes, if you will. Anyway, so the store owner, he was there describing this whole scene, and he was like, it was wild. He, like, walked outside, and the next thing you know, all of these agents just kept swarming him. They threw him in the back of a van, and they just left, and he was just gone. <laughs> and he was like, that was the craziest day at work. I was like, I bet, like, how many times does a terrorist walk into your store in the FBI? <laughs> Do you think the store owner got his two hundred dollars back? Because that really stinks for him. Yeah. I'd write it off as a tax write-off. Charity (laughs) right there. For the greater good. The agents tracked down Muhammad's apartment, and there they found a plane ticket from Pakistan to the United States for one Ramsey Youssef, a name that at the time meant nothing to detectives Napoli and Anisov, because they didn't know about Ramsey, because by the time Ramsey showed up, their inside guy was gone. So this was like a new player to them. Mm -hmm. So they didn't really know what this meant, and they didn't really know that Ramsey would be the mastermind behind the whole 1993 bombing. Also around this time, the New York Times received a letter from the Liberation Army 5th Battalion, which is just Ramsey. Ramsey sent the letter. Not only taking responsibility for the World Trade Center bombing, but also making three demands. First, 
the U.S. had to stop giving aid to Israel. Second, the U.S. must end all diplomatic relationships with Israel. And third, the United States must not interfere with any Middle Eastern country's affairs. Yeah, I don't think they, uh, I don't think they did that. No, 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 I don't think they did either. So this wasn't religious. This was this was definitely political. Yeah. After the arrest of Muhammad, United States Attorney Mary Jo White met with the detectives and their supervisor about the rumors that there had been a man on the inside before the explosion. They confirmed this rumor, and she demanded that Imad Salim go back undercover to catch the rest of the group. The detectives were like, uh, okay, they're hesitant, but they really didn't have an option. So they called up Ahmad, and boy, did he have some words for them. <laughs> Ahmad basically went off on the detectives, saying that he could have prevented this whole thing. He could have stopped the bombing. He could have provided dates and locations if they had left him undercover. Mm-hmm. That he could have, quote, Saved America's ass. That's a direct quote from him. That's a badass quote. This kind of turned the detectives off of Ahmad. They were kind of like, okay, calm down. Like, you were good, but like, we don't know that for certain. Like, just pipe down. <laughs> As he sounded too vindicative for them. But again, they had no choice. They needed him, so they sent him undercover to see if he could get information as to where the rest of the group was hiding. It wasn't long until Imad's involvement paid off. He found... One minute. Muhammad Abulimas, which we met in last week's episode. He's known as the Red because he has red hair. He found his phone number by going through the Red's brother's pockets. <laughs> this phone number what it's weird that the brother had his brother's phone number just in his pocket well he was traveling so it was a different phone number okay. also this is like the early 90s so people don't have cell phones so it was oh, like, oh here's where i'm gonna like be dove and nose yeah and he was like and, and like pigeon ravens pigeons yeah so I, I'm sure the red was like, here's where I'm going to be. If you need to get in contact with me, call this number. And he kept it in his pockets and Imad went through his pockets. I think you'd be a little more protective. Yeah. This phone number led the Egyptian FBI to arrest the red while he was in Cairo visiting family. So detectives Napoli and Anasev hopped on a plane and brought the Red back to the United States to face justice for the crimes he committed. With two conspirators in custody, the, the detectives took a step back and looked at all of their suspects, and they were all connected in one way, by the al Farouk Mosque. After watching and listening to the blind clerical leader of the mosque, Shaikh Oh, one minute. Sheikh Dr. Omar Abdel Rahman preaching. The detective set Imad on a new mission. 
find out if the sheikh was involved in the bombing. So this is like their pastor. Mm -hmm. You see, the sheikh preached on robbery and bombing and violence. So he really like preached on jihads, which in our Jihad Jane episode, we learned that jihads were... One minute, let me read the definition. A struggle or a fight against the enemy of Islam. Okay. So he was basically like, there's this fight going on and we got to use any means necessary to win. So, and the detectives listen and they're like, um, that sounds like he's invoking violence. Did he have something to do with this bombing? Like, was it his idea? It's what they were trying to figure out. If, like, he instructed them to do it, if he knew about it if he played any sort of role in it. Imad was more than happy to because he had actually encountered the Sheikh back in Egypt when the Sheikh was acquitted of charges for the assassination, the assassination of the Egyptian president, which Imad was protecting. He was in the Egyptian army, so he was protecting the president it was some like big ceremony or, or like it was almost like our veterans day they were honoring their military people and so it was at this like parade or something that their egyptian president was assassinated and imad was, oh, there, wow. was supposed to protect him and somehow the sheikh was like involved but got acquitted i don't know this whole thing so he was like i know this guy Scott killed my president. As Imad started getting close to the Sheikh, another member of the mosque approached him. His name was Sadiq Ali, and he asked Imad if he was the bomb guy. Imad was like, yeah, I'm the bomb guy. And Sadiq was like, okay, can you make me five bombs, just like the World Trade Center bomb? The plan was to set these off simultaneously across the city of New York, targeting the Lincoln Tunnel, the Holland Tunnel, the FBI office, and the UN. Oh, wow. This came to be known as the Day of Terror. That's what they would call it. It would be the Day of Terror. Yeah, in New York. They were about to bomb huge places. Yeah. When Imad brought the plan back to the detectives, they set Imad up with a garage to build the bombs in. It was also decked out with all the spy cameras and gadgets to capture all the evidence they would need. And boy, did it. It caught Sadiq and Iman making the bomb and talking about the plan, but it did not catch any involvement of the blind shake. So Ahmad was like, hey, Sadiq, you know, Dr. Robin is already dealing with a lot of shit from the first bombing because... He had, like, a lot of media following... This, like, Sheikh had a lot of media following him, kind of accusing him of being a part of it. And he was trying to go, like, no, I wasn't a part of it. So that's what Imad is referencing. Let's get his permission and his blessing before we blow anything up. And Sadiq was like, yeah, that's a really good idea. But before Imad could call the Sheikh, the Sheikh called him with concerns that a spy has had infiltrated their group and he wanted a mod's help with searching his house like his apartment for bugs imad maybe being the world's best
best undercover informant was like, sure thing, but I gotta make a stop first. That stop was at a spy gadget shop where he picked up two things. One was a device that would beep when he pushed a button, and another was a recording device, which Imad was very familiar with. And we'll talk about why he was familiar with those recording devices later. He ran to the blind sheikh's house and he walked with the sheikh through the house. Every now and again, Imad would hit the button on the device and let it beep. This, he told the sheikh, was his device picking up signs of a bug. Oh. The only not bugged place was the kitchen where Imad started asking the sheikh about the planned day of terror and recording the whole conversation. Like he put the recording device in his briefcase, briefcase, made the sheikh think that, yes, the house is bugged except for this one room. We're safe here. And then started like asking him all these questions. Dude, this guy's a genius. Yeah, he's something. You should like, in the podcast they like play some of the recordings he's definitely like a live wire like he he's something on this recording the sheikh advised imad to not target the un because it's considered a place of peace but to target a location of the u.s army this was all that was needed so the FBI's like, got him. Rap, that's three. This time, in June of 1993, the Joint Terrorism Task Force was able to shut down this other terrorist cell and terrorist plot before anything could actually be done. So obviously the Day of Terror did not happen. They, they got to it. But they were like, oh my god, our undercover guy has now infiltrated two terrorist cells with like in a year of each other. How many are there? Like, it kind of opened their eyes that. There's a lot out there. Yeah. And this it's a little suspicious. This guy's very good at it. <laughs> are you suspicious of Ahmad? Possibly. I mean, hey, he's, he's done it really well. Two times right yeah. now. He's just approachable. Everyone's like, you know what? That guy looks like he could make a bomb. <laughs> After a media frenzy, Sheikh Omar finally just turned himself in. He was soon convicted and sentenced to life in prison, along with Muhammad Salim and oh, I said that wrong. Muhammad Abulima, the Red, who were already in custody, along with Amaha Ajaj and Nadal. Aid, who also played roles, but I'm unclear at what point they were arrested. So these these other two were like just like they were in the group, but they weren't major players. Yeah. The last one, the last, I don't know what I'm reading. This left one man at large, Ramsey Yusuf. On December 11th, 1994, Philippines Airline Flight 747 was leaving Manila bound for Tokyo. Everything seemed smooth sailing in the sky until the plane jerked. 
The pilots had thought maybe a bird until a flight attendant entered the cockpit to inform them a bomb had just gone off. In the plane? Yeah. Oh. The pilots took immediate action and were able to land the plane safely. But the bomb... But sadly, with how the bomb detonated, one passenger was killed. Who had been respon was killed. Who had been responsible for the bomb was a mystery until January of 1995. Are you with me? I know we just kind of jumped randomly. Okay. When an apartment complex caught fire in Manila, Manila. When the police arrived, the doorman said two Middle Eastern men said it was their fault because they were playing with firecrackers. The men were? Yeah. I feel like in their apartment. I feel like that only happens with little kids, you know. I feel like if a apartment catches on fire due to firecrackers, it's like seven-year-old kids who got a lighter. Yeah, yeah, not really buying it. Sure enough, those same men had been walking on the sidewalk not far away, and the police arrested them, so they got them immediately. However, when they entered the apartment, they found much more than firecrackers. They found a laptop, chemicals, timers, stopwatches, pipe bombs, explosive, a map marked with where the Pope would be staying and his route for his upcoming visit to the Philippines. They're going after the Pope? What is the looks, Pope look, look like it. I don't know. They were going after the Pope. <laughs> That's just a jerk move at that point. And they found a passport belonging to Ramsey Yusuf. Who at this point had made America's most wanted list with a $2 million bounty on his head. Do, do people still do bounties? I feel like that's only in the movies. I mean, it's, it's a bounty to catch him alive. They're not saying kill him. It'd be cooler. But I don't think they call it bounties. Bounties. I think they're like, if you provide us a tip, like a cash reward. There's a cash reward if you provide a tip that leads to an arrest. They don't call them bounties anymore. They should. I should be able to look up on Google like U.S. bounties and see all these. You might be able to. I'm gonna look it up right now. Try to catch one of these guys and pay off my student tuition. U.S. bounties. Didn't they used to have a show where, like, their dog's a bounty hunter, where he just, like, tried to... I think you're thinking of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but it's very similar. No, Doug the Bounty Hunter. <laughs> uh, I couldn't find, uh, couldn't find any lists. It's probably a good thing we don't have bounties anymore so that people wouldn't be like, gotta kill this guy for the money. Uh, the US will pay me if like I kill him. On Google. After the Pope left, FBI agent Frank Pellegrino. So the Philippines basically told the US, hey, we think we got your most wanted guy, but you can't come until the Pope leaves. We're now on like high security access because they realized like 
how terrible for a country like everyone would have hated the philippines oh yeah Pope died. like they were taking no chances they're like we're not going to be this country we're not going to be the country that the pope dies in no we're going to ship him out to someone else's country and have him be their problem yeah we're going to let him come we're going to have the highest security at we're not even going to let the american fbi come highest security and then once the pope leaves people can start coming again <laughs> who cares who cares what happens in our country at that point so after the pope left fbi agent frank pellegrino who was specifically assigned to ramsey arrived and immediately jumped into action he went through the laptop that was left and found a folder called bojinka bojinka it's made up bojinka which contained all kinds of details about flight schedules when they were taking off where they were landing layovers all of that fun stuff through the investigation and interrogation of the member of ramsey's group that was arrested outside the apartment fire so the two guys they arrested weren't ramsey they were just like a part of the ramsey's like, group just co-workers i wouldn't call them co-workers i would say they were part of the same terrorist cell acquaintances I would hope they would at least friends. I mean, I would assume so. I mean, they have similar interests, I guess. Oh my god. Um. So they they interrogated those guys. Those guys basically rolled. Yeah. It was discovered that these bombs were the exact same as the bomb used on Flight Seven Four Seven. The plan came full circle. Ramsey planted the bomb on Flight 747 as a test run for the Greater Brojinka plan. So his plan would be to have, you know, his terrorist cell group. They would take these, and this is before we had strict, you know, security on planes. So they mm -hmm. figured out ways to sneak bombs and like the chemicals of bombs on the planes as children's toys. Oh. And have them in the suitcase. And their plan was that they would have the bomb. They would target flights that had layovers. They would get off at the layover, leave the bomb on the plane, and then detonate it. That's sad. If it makes you feel better, from what I can tell, this was the only plan that... The only plane that had a bomb on it like actually go off in the bojinka plan i don't know well, that for good. sure but from what i can tell one plane one victim which is still sad that one person died but i don't mm -hmm. think it got to the height of the plan like yes it could have been a lot worse if it was not stopped because they had a lot of flight plans and their plan was like gonna be a lot of planes mm-hmm Um, so this one was like his test run yeah. to see like if he could get past security and, and how it all worked. Also on the laptop was a Minesweeper game. Do you remember Minesweeper? I kind of Yes, I've never played it because it's looked confusing, but I do know of the game. Yeah, I remember this. So... 
there was this minesweeper game on the laptop and a name had been recorded in the game like you know how you score so many points and it's like what's your name and record your you mm-hmm. had the highest number so there was a name recorded and it was an alias for Khalid Sheikh Mohammed aka KSM he was Ramsey's uncle who had sent him money before the 1993 World Trade Center body bombing but this man in custody revealed another piece of information. The group had discussed hijacking planes and using them as weapons. I think it's kind of weird that he got caught on Minesweeper. They didn't, they caught an alias. They didn't catch him. But that is just so funny that they caught an alias on Minesweeper. Which actually shares similarities with the NCIS episode because they caught that guy through a video game. Yeah. Which the the real life guy probably had a cooler gamer tag than Agent Gibbs. I assume. It was an alias. Still better than Agent Gibbs. I think anything would be better. Okay, so now we're jumping to another place. The story kind of jumps a lot. There's a lot of like Hunting down, if you go listen to Operation Trade Bomb, there's a lot of just investigation hunting people down across the world. I try to condense it because theirs was like a nine part series, and I was like, no, I can get this in two. <laughs> in February of 1995, a South African man entered the U.S. Embassy in Pakistan demanding to talk to someone about Ramsey Yusuf. When he sat down with agents Jeff Reiner and Bill Miller, he explained that Ramsey gave him a suitcase filled with children's toys, and Ramsey instructed the South African man, this is how they, they never give his name, I'm assuming for safety purposes, so Mm -hmm. this is how they refer to him, just the South African man. Okay. Uh, man to leave this suitcase aboard an American Airlines flight leaving Bangkok heading back to the United States. The man arrived to the airport and waited to check in his bags, but at the last minute he changed his mind and dumped the chemicals of the bomb out in the bathroom. Okay, that's still not good. I mean, he flushed it down the toilet. Like, he got rid of it. Yeah, but I feel like flushing chemicals down a toilet is still harmful. It's still going to be harmful. I feel like there's better ways to deal with this than just, like, put them in their sewage lines. But at least he didn't, uh... At least he didn't go through with it. Yeah. Which is actually crazy. So this, he's telling, like, the whole story to these agents, and one of the agents' wives was, like, on this plane. Oh, wow. Like, that he took two banks, so they built the bombs in Pakistan, he took the bombs on the plane to Bangkok, and was going to put them on another plane from Bangkok to American Airlines, mm-hmm. and then, like, take a different flight back to Pakistan, and so this detective's wife had was on the plane to Bangkok, so she was on the plane with the bombs, and they were like, if any static electricity or anything funny had happened, the bombs probably would have gone off on that flight. Yeah, they got lucky. Yeah, and he was like, it was just such a surreal moment. Like, it felt personal at this point. Though they, I'm sure they did not know this man's wife was on the plane. But he had a new determination. 
he told the agents of Ramsey's plan to bomb airlines, and he knew this because he watched Ramsey type the information into a laptop. And one of the detectives kind of wrote him off because he was like, yeah, laptop. Yeah, right, because it's the 90s, and no one has laptops. And this other guy's like, no, he's right, because he had heard the report about the laptop found in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And this this source, a South African man, described it perfectly. The same it's laptop. so weird that like, they were like, this man's credible. They didn't think he had a laptop. Like, well, because so it's the 90s. No one had yeah. a laptop. And that thing, can you imagine that thing? Like, that thing was probably chunky. Mm-hmm. Probably had the, like, an actual, like, room fan in there blowing at 100 miles per hour to try to keep it cold. You had to probably plug in a car battery to keep it charged, like... <laughs> It reminds me of the laptop that mom, that Dell, old Dell laptop that mom had that was so big and clunky. I had to use it for all my school work. Y'all got, they bought you and Brady a new laptop to share. Yes. At some point. But I had to use the Dell one and it sucked. Is that the one that we used to watch Harry Potter on at the ranch? I think so. And by the time it got to me, like it always had to be on the charger if you were going to use it. It was so slow. It was a thick, it was a thick boy. That's what I picture. So, this laptop. He also told him that Ramsey was in Pakistan. Okay, we're getting closer to him, getting closer. This South African man became an informant for the U.S. agents to lead them to Ramsey and the informant worked fast, as did Ahmad. All their informants be working fast. <laughs> Before they knew it, he had Ramsey's location, and the U.S. Embassy, along with the Pakistan FBI, busted down his door. Inside, they found more toys and more components to make bombs, but most importantly, they had Ramsey Yusuf in custody. Let's go. Not only that... But Ramsey started to cry when he realized it was the Americans. <laughs> he just started bawling. He started to cry. Back in New York on January 8th, 1998, the judge sentenced Ramsey Yusuf to life in prison to be served in the maximum security prison in Colorado solely in solitary confinement. Oh my gosh, that sounds awful. For the rest of his life. Okay, but I learned through this podcast that in this, I know what prison they're talking about in Colorado. It houses like the worst of the worst. Because they have this like, I guess part of the prison that they call Bombers Row. And it's like the Unabomber, Ramsey Youssef, Terry McVeigh, all of these are like infamous bombers. And I'm pretty sure now it has uh, the Boston Marathon bombers. Oh, really? Yeah, and they call it Bomber Row. <gasps> it's like Alcatraz, basically. Yes, so they're all in solitary confinement. But they do get a TV is also what I learned. I feel like you have to because I don't think you can stick someone in solitary confinement with nothing. I am kind of glad they got a TV. Yeah, I yeah. think it's, like, unethical. Solitary confinement, it just sounds 
horrible. I mean, I feel like that might be in an unethical of itself. I'm not saying he shouldn't have gone. He obviously should have gone in jail for the rest of his life, but. I think it's only ethical if you give him like TV and then books so that they can like be able to like pass the time and be able to like do something while they're buying. Yeah. And he got a Quran too. I mean, I'm sure he got other books, but he had like, they gave him a Quran. For a second, I thought you said a crayon. And I was like, oh, so, like, he can color. So that's fun. No, like a crown length of religious book. <laughs> uh, during Yusuf's trial, it was revealed that the undercover inf informant, Imad Salim, had not only been recording conversations with the terrorist cell, but recorded all of his conversations with his FBI handlers. I told you he was sketchy. They, like, this all came out in trial, and everyone was kind of stunned. And it kind of, like, well, I guess, thus giving the public definitive knowledge that the FBI was aware of a bomb was being made, but from the tapes, it's unclear if they knew the purpose of the bomb. So, you don't know, and I don't think, with the timeline, I don't think Imad even knew that this was going to be for the 1993. I think his whole point was like, if you would have let me left me in there, I would have known that they were going to use it for the World Trade Center bombing. Yeah. At the time, Imad was undercover. It was just twelve pipe bombs. They had no idea it was like this bigger purpose to like essentially take out both towers. Because like, well, we discussed it before we recorded, but just in case the listeners aren't aware, Ramsey's plan was to park the van near the support beam in the north tower to thus make the north tower fall on the south tower was the original plan but they didn't look at the schematics right or they got the building thing wrong they parked the van in the wrong spot to do that which is good news mm -hmm. i think they estimated that if his plan would have gone like he wanted it to it would have been like two hundred fifty thousand people would have essentially almost he died, injured. It would have been horrible. It would have been so much more ca catastrophic. Yeah. So, but it, so the it didn't reveal that the FBI knew that it was going to be the World Training Center and just let it happen. But it was essentially like, what went wrong if you had a man on it? It just exposed the public to the what was going on behind the scenes. The tapes, however, did reveal that there was a plan to have Imad put fake powder into the bomb. So it could have But it blown. hadn't happened. Yeah. But it hadn't happened by the time the supervisor pulled Imad from the field. So if they would have been able to go through with that part of the plan, the bomb just wouldn't have gone off. Well, they. When Imad was still in there, though, they didn't. That wasn't when they changed the bomb though so even if he made all the pipe bombs defective the real bomb would have been fine right i don't know because i don't know how like if they reuse powder about ma yeah i don't know how much about bomb making like if you could just take this part that has the powder and put it i don't know probably or how far along they were in the building as a result of the 1993 
bombing, better security precautions were put in place. Underground parking was no longer avail allowed or available at the World Trade Centers. Security cameras were installed, vehicle barriers were put in place, and worker IDs were issued for entry. Which is good. And don't quote me on this because I don't remember which source I was looking for it today but I couldn't find it, but I'm pretty sure I read that they also put like better evacuation plans in, in case of an emergency after kind of seeing. Which is also very seen. good. Cause it's such a huge building. You do need good evacuation plans mm -hmm. for all big. Buildings. Yeah. Cause people were getting stuck in the elevators because they were trying to take the elevators, but then the electricity went out. Yeah. Um, uh, KSM, Ramsey's uncle, who was helping him with the Bojinka plot, eventually approached Osama bin Laden with a new plan of using airplanes as weapons with one target in mind. So Osama bin Laden was essentially his benefactor, the money guy. He needed the money to make this plan happen, but KSM was the mastermind behind it. Ramsey's uncle went on to be the like I just said, be the mastermind of 9-11, obviously. Mm -hmm. Before we conclude this story, I just want to remember the victims of the 1993 World Trade Center bombing one more time. They were John Giovanni, Robert Kilpatrick, Stephen A. Knapp, William Macko, Wilfred Mercado, and Monica Rodriguez-Smith and her unborn child. And that is the story of the 1993 World Trade Center bombing and the conclusion of part two. See, I never even heard of the World Trade Center bombing. You had to have at least heard of it because I'm pretty sure we read about it at the 9-11 Memorial Museum. So I bet I did then, but it's like in history classes, they never talk about it. No, no. But in history classes, we usually don't get to 9-11. Yeah, it was just like on 9-11 every year we would like in history classes we, we do the remembrance. about it and it's just weird yeah. that that was never really mentioned. Yeah, it's not. Um, in like what if in my promotions of the part one, I said it was it's overlooked, you know, 9-11 happened. It was the greater tragedy and it is. I mean, there were, if I remember correctly, approximately like 3,000 lives lost, so many more um, impacted. And it, it, we just, once that happened, it, the mm -hmm. 1993 just kind of took a backseat. Yeah. And yeah, I didn't know, I knew that there had been a bombing, didn't know the story. Didn't know all of this information. Definitely didn't know it started with the murder of a rabbi. Yeah. Definitely didn't know that there was a connection in a roundabout way, not a direct connection, but in a roundabout way to 9-11. All crazy. Piece of American history. That, you know, some, yeah, like some people listening may not know the full story mm -hmm. in this much detail. What did you think? That was really interesting. Something I've never heard before. When you first mentioned it was about the World Trade Center bombing, I was like, is it 
Is it the same World Trade Center that I know? And it was. Which was interesting. Also sad. Sad that that building had two major attacks on it. Mm-hmm. One of the articles I read was, like, they interviewed this woman. I think it was for the 25th anniversary of the 1993 bombing. Mm-hmm. Which I guess this year would make it the 30th anniversary back in February. Mm-hmm. They interviewed this woman, and she had been in the World Trade Center in both attacks, 1993 oh, wow. and 9-11, and survived both. That's scary. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's insane. So, as I said at the top of the episode, let's end on a posit- more positive note, and let's go into the question of the day. Uh... Carson, do you have a question? If not, I mean, I have a question. I just didn't know if you... No, I do not have a question. Well, listeners, if you ever wanted to, you could write us in your questions for me and whoever my host might be for that week. Whatever your craziest mind thinks of. But remember, our parents listen to this podcast, so just also keep that in mind. But I will answer any question. I will answer anything. (laughs) Carson, my question this week for you is, if you had to recite all of the lyrics of an entire song to save your life, what song could you you recite? There's a lot of songs I could do. Is there? I I think. I think I could nearly recite. Without messing up. One mess up. I'm this close to being able to recite the entire Downtown by Malcolm Moore. Um, oh, there's some other songs that I could... Um, Stick Season by Noah Khan. I could do that yeah. entire song without messing up. Um, oh, Driver's License by Olivia Rodrigo. Oh, yeah. I could do, I that, could do one. that one. Got my driver's license last week. Um, it's like we always talked oh, about. What's that one 21 Pod song that was always on the radio? If we could go back. Yes. I mean, if you can't even say the name of the song, then can you recite it if your life's on oh. the line? Definitely. Stressed out. Stressed out, definitely. Um... Do you remember Seven Years? I don't even know who sings it, but it's Yeah, like, Lucas Graham. Once I was seven years old. I could do that whole song. It's, it's, most of these songs are ones that were always on the radio. Yeah. Like Hotline Bling, probably, by Drake. Yeah. I could probably do yeah. Hotline Bling. Too many songs. Was it Chicken Fried? By Zach Brown Band. Oh, yeah. Brady could do that one. He had, like, a whole dance to go with it, mm-hmm. too. Definitely could do that one. A little bit of chicken fry. Cold beer on a Saturday On a Friday night. <laughs> you, you're already well, dead. See, you're already dead. I couldn't do that. Okay, right, well, my song would be... My song would be uh, Someone Like You by Adele. I memorized all those songs. Never mind, I'll find... Someone like you. Okay. I wish nothing but the best. See, I want to memorize a really hard song so that when someone asks me that, I can be like, probably Rap God by Eminem. And they're like, you can't do the entire Rap God. And then I spit it right then. And they're like, oh, wow. 
this guy can but do what rap if, god wouldn't the right answer be like that song from like sandlot like tequila yeah tequila would, you would be never up there. Die. like if your life is on your life but that's not like, knowing fun. me i'd probably miss the beat yeah but it could be fun and then you mess up one word and you're like is it this is the fun worth of your life like but think about it. think about someone like saying i'm gonna kill you unless you recite, recite all the words to a song correctly and you're like woke up gangnam style and then you spit the entire gangnam style song in korean no words missed you know how that that guy would be like that was impressive and just walk away this has been fun i can't wait to get you and brady on an episode together it might that episode you might have to pick a short like actual episode and a short story because we're just going to talk so much that the the actual crime should be shorter so that we don't take up through like three hours i will try my you know that i'm glad you brought this up because one it reminds me that i have to say what episode we're watching next week but also i will try my best but i'm at the mercy of the random number generator man well hopefully hopefully it gives us with an easy episode so that we can just talk and hang it you know i think eventually we might just need to have like a Hoosman podcast where it's we don't have a topic we just go in it and we just go crazy we just talk just we randomly just talk. yeah we can know. call it who's fan bands during time conversation because we used to have some hilarious like sitting there it was not safe to eat at our dinner table because you would show laughing too hard yeah and then i would get in trouble for crossing the line at some point i mean of course i probably crossed the dinner table conversation line like at one point but they kept letting him go because he was so funny until he finally crossed like if, if, a line it, it happened line every time because it was like i just kept going i was like if this is making people laugh let me keep doing it and then it went too far i always i was like mom we've got to start setting up a camera like this is hilarious we've got to just start filming this we would be so famous on youtube if people just listen to these dinner time conversations that we would have mm-hmm they were pretty good. But let's save it. Let's let's save what we discuss for for when we're all together. That's our story or question of the week. Okay. So, next week we are watching. Do you want to guess? Arod and Malik like to guess. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go with. Ooh. Right, I'm. It's a show we haven't watched before. If you follow the podcast. Oh, that you haven't watched before. Yeah, that we haven't covered on the podcast. At all. Ooh. So, Los, An- but you know Los Angeles is off of it, right? Y'all have already covered that. No, it's actually NCS Los Angeles. Okay, that was going to be my <laughs> guess. That was going to be my guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, so we're watching. I guessed in- the last time, too. I guessed the last yeah, time. Yeah, you too. did. Two for two. NCS Los Angeles, season nine, episode 11, All is Bright. That is my favorite episode. All right. NCIS LA Season 9, Episode 11, All is Bright. That's what we're watching for next week's episode. 
My name is Kinsey Huseman. I'm your host. This is Crime on Prime Time, and we are signing off. <laughs>